welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour One. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here nationwide. The phone number, 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, you can always text the word Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777 and get all the information you need of how to find me online, the live stream, the podcast, and the like. We got to get to the big news of the day, and that is the President of the United States of America is in Kiev uh, meeting with uh, Vladimir Zelensky, the President of Ukraine. Uh, here is the President from Ukraine. One year later, Kiev stands, and Ukraine stands. Democracy stands. The Americans stands with you, and the world stands with you. And here is Vladimir Zelensky. Good morning to everybody. Today we host uh, President Biden. That is so important signal for us. And all we are proud of it. Thank you very much for coming, Mr. President. That is a huge moment of supporting. That was uh, Vladimir Zelensky, a little hard to hear, and, and he, he speaking English, not his native language. Uh, deeply proud, says it is an important signal for them. Jake Sullivan, the National Security Advisor, says the Russians were notified. No one else was, but the Russians were told. We did notify the Russians that President Biden would be traveling to Kiev. We did so uh, some hours before his departure for deconfliction purposes, and uh because of the sensitive nature of those communications i i won't get into how they responded um, or what the precise nature of our message was but i i can confirm that uh, we provided that notification now the details of the president's arrival he flew to poland uh much like presidents have gone to iraq and afghanistan uh, he flew to Poland. Reporters, a very small number, were allowed to go with him. Uh, and then he crossed the border by train, traveled uh, more than 10 hours to get to Kiev and see the president. They went out into the streets of Kiev as air raid sirens were sounding. Look. It is a big deal that the president of the United States arrived in Kiev, uh, particularly at a time polling in the United States is showing uh, more and more Americans are starting to turn against funding of this effort in Ukraine. Uh, they're getting bored with it. They don't see a bang for their buck, if you will. Uh, there are lots of bangs for bucks, just not the kind they want. Uh, there is also this sentiment growing among Republicans that uh, too much money is being spent there. You have these weird optics and dynamics of the president of the United States not funding East Palestine, Ohio's disaster relief effort, denying FEMA emergency funding there while spending a lot of money on pensions to prop up the Ukrainian pension program. This administration has been very bad at messaging uh, the central issues of Ukraine. Why are we spending this sort of money? Now, a lot of this money, and it gets lost in the messaging, is not just a gift, it is a loan. And this money will be backed by not just Ukraine, but the European Union. We will get our money back. In fact, uh, the European Union is somewhat aggrieved. They feel like they are funding the United States through these efforts. There's lots of aggravation, actually, in Europe 
about the money we are sending to Ukraine because the European Union has backed it and backed the debt loan payments. But it is hard to justify spending money to prop up the pension systems of, of Ukraine when you're not spending emergency relief dollars in East Palestine, Ohio. It's hard to justify when this administration does such a terrible job trying to figure out how to balance the needs of Americans with foreign policy needs in Ukraine. They could do a better job. It's not my job to do it for them. But I can tell you one of the ways to explain it is we send money to Ukraine and then the Ukrainians send it back to America by buying our weapon systems. In buying our weapon systems, they create jobs for Americans. This is the arsenal of democracy at work. It's what the United States has historically been known for and we benefit. It creates American jobs oftentimes in red conservative states in the South. And there are ways to spin this. But if Joe Biden were to go out and say, well, look, this is good. We're creating jobs in Alabama in the weapon systems programs. Suddenly his own Democratic base would turn on funding the war in Iraq when they realized the people making money are in Alabama, not in Anaheim, California. But he, he's, he's not trying to make the case. There are lots of media companies out there today as well say it took guts. It took guts for Joe Biden to go to Kiev. I do recall Boris Johnson when he was prime minister at the height of the war in and around Kiev showing up and lots of calls for Joe Biden to go and him not going at the time. Listen, we should applaud our president because he is your president and my president. Whether we like the guy or not, we should applaud him going to Ukraine, to Kiev, to stand in solidarity with the government and the leadership of Ukraine. But he could have gone a long time ago like other world leaders. I don't know why we all need to seal clap the president waiting until now, after all of this time, a year later, showing up in, in uh, Ukraine. And you know and I know damn well that if Ron DeSantis were to show up in Ukraine, the media would excoriate How dare he go? He's just trying to build his foreign policy credentials. Yes, it's true. There's a difference. The president of the United States versus the governor of Florida. But also, if the standard is we must seal clap for our American leaders going to Ukraine, you would have to do that for a Republican, except we all know these people wouldn't. Look, it, it is it is true. Let me read you this from National Review. Americans are allowed to disagree in good faith with what comes next. Should the U.S. stand for a Ukraine whole and free, no matter how long it takes to eject the Kremlin's army? Or is it in the American interest to urge the Ukrainians to accept a peace that doesn't include all of its antebellum territory? But no one should be under any illusion about the power of an American president going into a war zone to extend a hand to a beleaguered, beleaguered people and offer unwavering support. Symbolism and morale matter to a nation at war. Indeed, as Napoleon said, the moral is to the physical as three to one. At home, it may often feel our republic is irretrievably fractured. Abroad, mistakes and wrong turns have tarnished our reputation for competence and steadfastness. But America is still, for all its faults, seen in dark and terrible places as the last best hope. Beyond our shores, people should react to our presidents with hope. That's all true. That's all a fair statement. He also says this trip took guts. 
but not as much as it could have last year in the height of the war when other leaders of other countries were showing up and President Biden was not. He could have done this sooner. That he did it is a good thing. He should not be criticized or condemned for going. But I do think you can't applaud him and seal clap, oh my God, the President of the United States is in key, this is so wonderful, without also acknowledging the number of world leaders who were willing to go when it was far more dangerous. And you can say, but they weren't the President of the United States. But they were leaders of a war effort for Ukraine, just like this president. And now we went and he made sure the Russians knew we were going. Interestingly enough, while Biden headed to Ukraine, China's top foreign minister went to Moscow. There is an interesting juxtaposition there we should not ignore. We are bolstering Ukraine. It is in our interest, and I know some disagree, but it is in our interest for Ukraine to fight the Russians with our weapons and avoid us having to fight them for Russia to spill over into NATO territory. And that day might come still. But it's far better for the Ukrainians to dispatch the Russians than for us to have to do it. Let them use our weapons. Let them use our money. But someone's got to take on the Russians. The fact that the Chinese, though, wish to build this alliance with the Russians should be notable. It should be more notable that they made sure to send the Chinese foreign minister to Russia as our president was going to Kiev. Battle lines are being drawn. And here then is the the historic note. When this country embraces its isolationist tendencies and sits on the sidelines, historically, we then have to come into messy affairs later and clean them up. It is far better for us to be on this international stage where some of you don't want us to be and to be there robustly defending the Ukrainians than for us to sit back, be isolationist, and wait for it to become inevitable for us to go in after battle lines have been drawn and trenches have been dug and and troops are put in places that are much harder to root out. I mean, you don't have to be much of a student of history to understand in World War I and in World War II, Americans ultimately were dragged into both affairs. We had been very isolationist for both of them. In World War II, we had used the arsenal of democracy to help fund European powers against the Nazis, but we wanted to stay out of it until the surprise attack of the Japanese on Pearl Harbor drew us into the war. In World War I, we set out until millions of Europeans killed each other and dug trenches and made it far more difficult when we did go in to help turn the tide of that war. Time and time again, our isolationist tendencies in this country take the world to war and we have to go in and clean up. That's just historic reality. In this situation, if the Russians take over Ukraine as they want, they will eventually spill into NATO territory. You can bellyache your talking point time and time again that us considering Ukraine as part of NATO is what caused this, except we had well rejected the proposition before Vladimir Putin went into Ukraine. And you have to believe what someone is telling you and be ignorant of history and fact in order to use that line. But a lot of people on the right use the line that our considering Ukraine 
for NATO was what provoked this when we hadn't considered Ukraine for several years before it happened and, in fact, had explicitly rejected them. And only now are we considering Ukraine again because of this provocation. Facts actually do matter. Timelines actually do matter. But a timeline that also matters is that Boris Johnson, the head of the EU, uh, the Germans, the Poles, and many others went to Ukraine well before the president of the United States. And now the president of the United States is in Ukraine, having had the Germans force our hands on sending Abrams tanks to Ukraine. And now the demand is on for F-16s and long-range missiles, which American generals are beginning to tell Congress could turn the tide of the war. An escalation appears to be coming in this. The problem for the Biden administration, an objectively truthful problem for the Biden administration, is that they are having a really hard time explaining to Americans why we should fund the Ukrainian pension program and deny FEMA assistance to East Palestine, Ohio. The Biden administration has done more harm to the American war effort with Ukraine by its failure to pitch it and sell it to the tone deafness of the concerns and the outright dismissal of any opposition when there are legitimate complaints about doing it. There are some legitimate complaints. You wouldn't know that from the Biden administration. They are their own worst enemy. And going to Ukraine, it's a great day for the president of the United States. It gets him a lot of great press, even from conservatives who tend to have the back of any president who goes into a war zone to take the side of people we are allied with. But it comes at a cost. And that cost is his inability to sell the overall war and picture of the war to the American people, depriving us of funds at home for necessary things while sending funds to Ukraine without explanation that could be made and could be made in a way that Americans understand, but thus far, this administration has failed to do so. At least, however, he went, finally. So my kid has a queen-size bed. We've got a king-size bed. We got him bull and branch sheets, and he's used them. He had, like, kid sheets, and now he's old enough. He doesn't want the, the action figure sheets anymore. Well, we got lost because, I mean, the sheets look like our sheets, except they're queen-size sheets, and they got put in our closet, and the kid was in despair. We got him Bolin Branch sheets. They've gotten softer and softer, and he's like, where are my real sheets? He refused to sleep until we found the real sheets because they're that soft. They're that good. They're made with a 100% organic cotton thread. They get softer in every wash. You can stay cozy all winter long with a set of Bolin Branch sheets. They really are that good. We have them on multiple beds in our house. My goodness, my seriously, my kid, uh, he's finally like, my sheets are for kids. I'm I'm grown up now, and uh, it's just a, a step of quality above what he had, and now he's like, can't sleep without these sheets. They're designed to feel incredible for all sleepers. They're made without toxins. They're free of pesticides, formaldehyde, other chemicals. They fit the deepest mattress, too, which I love because we have a very thick mattress on our bed, and it fits. It doesn't, like, bunch up and then snap off in the middle of the night when you roll over. You can get 15% off your forced order Bolin Branch sheets when you use promo code ERIC at BolinBranch.com. Exclusions apply. See site for details. That's Bolin Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. The promo code is ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number is 877-973-7425. There's some breaking news that 
Uh, details are only just coming in. There have now been uh, two earthquakes in the last few minutes in Turkey following the massive one they had there in, in near Syria. A 6.4 earthquake occurred in um, uh, felt in Cyprus, Lebanon, and Syria. A second earthquake of 5.8 uh, has happened as well. Uh, three minutes between the two quakes in the last 15 minutes. Um, this is an area of the world that, uh, if you've seen any of the videos, it's shocking. The collapse of buildings and the like, uh, really, really just a uh, real collapse of buildings. Um, it, it, lots of loss of life, Ten, tens of thousands of people. Uh, the, a lot of the buildings very old, uh, built with very poor construction materials, uh, not updated to earthquake code as this is happening there. Uh, just, I mean, be in prayer for the people over there if, if you're a praying type because there's going to be a 6.4 earthquake um, followed right by a 5.8 within three minutes is uh, a big deal. It's, it's nighttime there now. And um, so people are waking up in the middle of the night to devastation yet again coming on the heels of these aftershocks, if you will, of the last big earthquake there. Uh, we got other news that we've got to talk about as well here uh, that we've got to get into. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk about Jimmy Carter. You know, there's a um, period for presidential mourning. It is 30 days of the flag at half mast. Uh, we in this country have a conflicted view of our leadership, particularly more so in this postmodern era that we live in, where more and more, uh, you know, in, in postmodernism, there's no longer the truth. It's your truth and my truth. There's no longer objective standards. It, it's, it's, there's a lot of moral relativism. Exceptions become the rules. And it, it's, it's hard to embrace, as a result, the legacy of someone like Jimmy Carter if you're a conservative because uh, it, it's, it's I get angry hate mail from people on the right when I point out that uh, Joe Biden is their president, whether they like it or not. When Donald Trump was president, I got awful, awful hate mail from progressives when I pointed out that Donald Trump was their president, whether they liked it or not. And they refused to believe it. It's like, no, he literally, you don't get your own president in this country. We have one. And for four years in the late 1970s, we had one uh, considered one of the worst presidential administrations in American history and then considered one of the best post-presidencies, if not the best. Um, and I could quibble with the sum, but every president gets 30 days of mourning. The most interesting thing here is a gathering here, much like with George H.W. Bush, when Donald Trump was president, a gathering of all the presidents, assuming uh, Donald Trump is invited and goes to a Carter funeral, uh, but President Carter has entered hospice at home. Uh, he is doing okay, uh, but his, he is at the end of life, and word will come one day soon uh, that he is no more, and America will go into an official mourning period for 30 days with a flag at half-mast to remember his presidency. Y'all, I want to be real honest with you. Uh I have looked, because you have asked me to look, for a reputable gold company that can give you advice and answer your questions that's not gimmicky. Like, for example, some of them do certificates, and some of them they try to rope you in with other stuff. You are interested in precious metals for your retirement savings uh, to ease the ebbs and flows of inflation and wild swings in the stock market. Advantage Gold. Advantage Gold. That's who you want to call. 
uh, Advantage Gold. I have looked into them. I have had them answer my questions, and it is not one of these gimmicky places. There aren't tricks. They really just want you to have a great experience learning how to be a gold investor. Give them a call, 800-450-2566, 800-450-2566. Tell them I sent you. You can get their free gold and IRA investment kit, but call them if you got questions. They're good people, 800-450-2566. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number, 877-973-7425. Just real quick. I want to read you this headline. Chick-fil-A goes woke. Conservative fast food chain tests $7 plant-based sandwich made from cauliflower that costs more than the chicken original. They're selling it in Denver, Colorado, Charleston, South Carolina, and Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, I, it, is, it is the height of stupidity to call this woke. How is offering a vegetarian option woke? I mean, plenty of restaurants have long offered vegetarian options. My Catholic friends are upset that they're not offering a a, a fish sandwich. I didn't even know they at one point sold a fish sandwich, but they say they like fryer capacity for that. Listen, I'm not a big fan of cauliflower everything, cauliflower mashed potatoes, cauliflower pizza crust. Although now that I know how much nicotine is in cauliflower, I may give it a shot. (laughs) <laughs> a kid, a kid, but nonetheless, it's not woke to offer a vegetarian sandwich. Now, I, I picked on Chick-fil-A. I told him I, I put up a piece on online and said, repent. Um, humorously, all my Chick-fil-A friends were like, what? It's actually tasty. Don't criticize. Um, I don't care. I don't care that they're offering it. It's good business smarts to offer options for people to come into your restaurant. What I find notable, and this gets to an email I got from a listener the other day about the the Beyond and Impossible Foods. Uh, Some of the restaurants, I think what KFC attempted a Beyond Chicken or an Impossible Chicken, you know, these, these companies offer highly synthetic processed uh, meat substitutes. It's fake meat. And at one point in our lives, we were told that the highly processed stuff is the worst stuff to eat until they decided it was good for the environment and bad for us, so we should go eat this stuff. And they're not doing well. Uh, I got a a listener emailed me, was very upset with me, uh, criticizing these two companies, and he clearly hasn't heard the stories that uh, Beyond is about broke. That nobody's buying the stuff. That they they hit a peak at which people have stopped buying. Uh, the Beyond Meat people. What the the one of the the senior executives was jail, arrested or jailed at a football game in Arkansas, among other things. And they're just not doing well. So I was at a meeting one time with a, one of the people tied to one of those two companies. Uh, the guy's wife was one of the scientists. And they were working on the synthetic hemoglobin. They were getting FDA approval for it. And the synthetic hemoglobin, so meat has what some scientists believe is the meaty feel to it because of the blood. And you don't actually eat the blood. You, you know, the, the the red stuff in your hamburger or your steak isn't actually blood. 
but there's hemoglobin present, and which is present in blood, and it gives meat of all varieties that meaty feel, and they were working on synthetic hemoglobin. And that's what set it apart from opposed to the, the black bean and, and flaxseed pressed fake burgers and the like. Um, it, it gave it something. But I just, yeah, yeah there's not a, you know you're not eating a regular hamburger when you go get one of these Impossible Burgers, but it kind of tastes like it apparently. I have no desire to eat one. I just think for the people upset with Chick-fil-A for offering a cauliflower sandwich, uh, that uh, several friends of mine who've had it says it's actually pretty good. I would just say instead of calling it woke or instead of being enraged by the audacity of offering a vegetarian option, I would just continue to be impressed with Chick-fil-A's willingness to find an avenue for people who otherwise wouldn't eat their product to come in their door and find out what it's like to eat at a well-run restaurant where they say my pleasure and even though you wait all day in line to get your food at the drive-through, they it's it's a good meal and pleasant people. If they if the only thing I wish Chick Fil A would do different, the only major thing I wish they would do besides bring back the old brownie, is cook your fries a couple minutes longer, please. There's a restaurant not far from me. It's a it's a brewery in a smokehouse called Piedmont. And they should be in charge of the waffle fries at Chick-fil-A. Their waffle fries every single time come out crispy. At Chick-fil-A, half the time you can tell they rushed it and the waffle fries are super soggy. I like, I, I get the, um, I'm trying to do the whole macro thing again, Ugh, but I get the grilled chicken nuggets and not the waffle fries. And, and I stopped eating the waffle fries a while back anyway, just because I'm tired of the soggy waffle fries. Just cook them a little longer, as long as you cook your cauliflower but it's not woke. All right, now that I've got that off my chest, I can move on to other stuff. Um, it's kind of a difficult topic, um, and it shouldn't be a difficult topic. I am not a Jimmy Carter fan. And I've heard stories from some of his successors in office and those who worked for them that made me even less of a Jimmy Carter fan. Um, but there are also a lot of people I know who were helped along the way by Jimmy Carter after he left office. He has a complicated legacy. His presidency was not a good presidency. For a very long time, it was notable that even Democrats did not want Jimmy Carter coming to their presidential conventions. It was only, I think, the Obama administration. Maybe it was the Kerry in 2004, but I think it was Obama in 2008. Uh, Jimmy Carter showed up at a Democratic presidential convention. And it, it, it's because the Carter presidency is shorthand for bad. Nobody wants to be the second coming of Jimmy Carter. The The Democrats actually will say, that Donald Trump is the Republican Carter-Nixon transplant. And they use Carter in there. They, they don't use it in a kind way. Uh, Jimmy Carter's presidency saw gas lines, saw stagflation, saw economic misery, and it, it led to the rise of Ronald Reagan. And uh, there are some Republicans who take hopes in the problems of the Biden administration thinking it will 
give rise to the second coming of Ronald Reagan, whoever that might be. Jimmy Carter's post-presidential administration, uh, post-presidency, was actually kind of uh, widely considered the gold standard. I don't know that I would go that far, but among members of the media who can never uh, give credit to Republicans of, of, of anything, they, they point to Jimmy Carter and his post-presidency, his care for democracy, uh, his building of houses for Habitat for Humanity, his uh, teaching Sunday school, all of that stuff was good. Now, I, I will tell you, a, a part of me is, is a little bit jaded when it comes to the Carter post-presidential years because I know some of his successors in office, and I know a lot of people who worked for his successors in office. And all of them have very unflattering stories about Jimmy Carter. And I know some people around Atlanta who have had encounters with him that were not very pleasant um, after he left the White House, uh, e- even into old age. Uh, the the successors in office essentially portray a man who intended to use his uh, care for democracy around the world to interject himself into their foreign policies when he didn't like the way they were doing things. Um, the Clinton administration officials are deeply critical of Carter. And, of course, a lot of the Reagan officials were as well. But uh, the Bushes and Obama, I always thought it was very interesting. When you look at uh, pictures of the presidents together, you have all of them kind of clustered together and Carter off by himself. Uh, and, and that's the way it always has been, that he there's no real love lost between those presidential administrations. That being said... The charity work that Jimmy Carter did, uh, hands down, probably more impactful than anyone else's. When you look at Bill Clinton's uh, Global Clinton Initiative Fund, it looked like a way to subsidize the lifestyles of the Clintons. The uh, Jimmy Carter is the only man in the modern presidential era to go home to the house he lived in before the presidency that gives you kind of a sense of the character of the man, whether you like him or not. Every president since, what to say, uh, Nixon, every president left the presidency and bought a mansion. Jimmy Carter went back to Plains, Georgia, and moved back into his house that he'd always lived in. And he taught Sunday school and was accessible. I sat on a plane trip to Washington several years ago. He was going up there for an event, and the Secret Service came on the plane. He had Secret Service protection. Presidents up until recently had lifetime Secret Service protection. Uh, only more recent presidents. It was supposed to actually be a law, interestingly enough, that began with George W. Bush. You would no longer get lifetime Secret Service. But given the Iraq War and the like, uh, Bush gets lifetime Secret Service. So Carter has lifetime Secret Service, but he flew commercially. He didn't fly private. He flew on Delta. And he got on the plane, and he sat in economy. Didn't want to sit up and for I was in first class. I, I I thought it was kind of notable. I'm in first class, and the former president of the United States is sitting back in economy. And he shook hands with everybody on the plane, spoke to everyone, was very accessible and nice. Did not have a big ego. It was it was a fascinating look into the former president, and he now comes to the end of his life. He's the oldest living president. He's 98 years old. He has lived longer than all the others. And he has that very mixed legacy. 
to some degree, I guess it's a good thing that his family has given notice he's with hospice. Several months ago, actually, I was told he was in very poor health and was not expected to make it. I actually got a call from uh, my flagship station saying, have you heard anything about Carter? I said, yeah, it's it's not good. Um, the buzz around Washington, D.C. is that we should be preparing for a presidential funeral. And he been in and out of the hospital getting treatment, was able to overcome that, but has not been, frankly, just overcoming age, and he's dealt with cancer and other issues. So prayers for him and his family. It is a complicated legacy, and it is defined, I think, largely by two periods, his presidency and his post-presidency. There is very little commendable about Jimmy Carter's presidency, very little commendable. But there is much to commend him for his uh, later life in charity and nonprofits, even as I continue to have these these stories roll around in my head about things done through his um, post-presidential uh, Carter library and his uh, support for democracy around the world that other presidents uh, had bad blood, I guess you could say, because of it. But when it came to Habitat for Humanity, when it came to uh, teaching Sunday school, being accessible in church, being accessible in Plains, Georgia, and the like. Uh, there's there's a lot to commend for the man, Jimmy Carter, if not for the president, Jimmy Carter. And regardless of your feelings on him and your views on him in life, mine included, we should be praying for him and his family right now. Now I want to mention to you, before I get out of here, Patriot Mobile. Uh, my cell phone company can be your cell phone company. I don't own the company. I'm just a, and I actually called them up. I took advantage of my own deal, which was kind of funny, um, to, to get aligned with Patriot Mobile. You could take your existing phone number to Patriot Mobile or get a new one, and you use the same cell towers everybody else uses. So you go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric, patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. You port your phone service over to them or get new phone service. You get free activation with my name, and you get guaranteed great service. They use the same cell towers you're probably already using with your existing cell phone company. And you get great discounts from them if you're a veteran, a first responder, a teacher, an NRA member, so many more. you got a lot of lines for your house because you got a lot of kids. They can take care of you. And then what's really cool is they take a portion of their profits and they fund the conservative causes you care about from the First Amendment to the Second Amendment to the pro-life movement to supporting veterans and first responders to even funding races of school board, conservative school board parents against woke school board members, Patriot Mobile does it all. They've been getting a lot of flack from the left-wing press because of what they do. You can help them do even more just by taking your cell phone business to them and getting their guaranteed great service. You can call them 972-PATRIOT or you can go online, patriotmobile.com slash Eric, get their guaranteed great service today. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. Larry Hogan says a decision about 2024 will come this spring. You may not know who Larry Hogan is. Larry Hogan is a favorite of the media talk shows. He's the former Maryland governor. He's a Republican who criticizes lots of Republicans, so he gets lots of airtime. He was on uh, Meet the Press on NBC. He said, sometime this spring, I think, is when you have to really get ramped up. you got to start raising hard dollars to be really in the race, committed in the next couple of months. And I'm traveling around the country just trying to get a feel for what Republican voters want, what Americans are looking for, and we're going to make a decision in a rel- relatively short period of time. Larry Hogan, 
I can tell you from ground zero in American politics, from the biggest battleground state in the nation, from Georgia, we don't want you. No, no offense. I don't. I, you're happy to. I'm happy to have you at my conference if, if you want to. If you want to run, but you're you're looking at a field of Republicans where every sentiment out there is that we don't need a crowded field. And what the hell is your lane exactly? As a Republican, that you're the moderate Republican who's okay with gun control and thinks social conservatism has gone too far. Have you not paid attention to the cultural conversations of the day? Right now, whether you or I like it, and I do have some qualms with it myself, the conversations on the right are culturally oriented. They're not fiscally oriented. I just don't understand. So here's the dirty little secret. A lot of these guys who get a lot of media attention, start to flirt with the idea of running in large part because they get the media attention. Remember what happened to John McCain, the maverick? The maverick the media loved ran for office and they excoriated him for running against the first black guy to credibly run. I mean, John McCain became a racist by running against Barack Obama. The very same members of the media who loved him vilified him the moment he got in. Here's here's the real problem for Larry Hogan. His views do not align with the bulk of the party. I don't question that he is a Republican. But he's not really a conservative. He's always been a moderate Republican. There is no lane in the GOP for a moderate voice like Larry Hogan. The reality is this becomes a race between Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump and a few other people. The more people who get in, the better it is for Donald Trump because Donald Trump is going to have about a third of the Republican Party in his uh, pocket. DeSantis will have about a third of the Republican Party in his pocket. Everyone else who comes in is fighting for a third together. That's Nikki Haley. That's Larry Hogan. That's Mike Pence. That's Mike Pompeo. That's Christy Nome. That's Tim Scott. That That's whoever else gets into the race. Chris Sununu says he's looking at it. What did these guys not learn from 2016? We had 17 people crowding the debate stage. You could barely get it. it. It helped Donald Trump. Now, Hogan, to his credit, says if he thinks his entry would help Donald Trump, he would not do it. That should keep him out of the race. Larry Hogan, listen to me. Larry Hogan, we don't know each other. But you are a Maryland moderate Republican governor. That sells well on television, whether it's uh, this week or Meet the Press or or wherever. It doesn't sell well within a Republican primary where the fights, whether you or I like it, are culturally conservative fights at the time and you're out of step with those. And you have a third of the party for DeSantis and a third of the party for Trump and you're fighting over a third of the party with a bunch of other people. All that does is help the two-thirds and they'll be able to pick some off and it'll be one or the other. You don't actually add anything to the conversation, Larry. I don't mean that disrespectfully. I, I just, that's the reality of the situation. What do you add to the conversation on stage that you can't add off stage on Meet the Press? I'm not sure what that is, but I am sure it's not something that the voters are really looking for with inside the Republican primary.